0: it to the book of Matthew, where we'll read chapter 1 as we begin a new series today, Lord willing, for the remainder of 2022, of looking at the first and last chapter of every New Testament letter and book. And so we begin it today with Matthew chapter 1. And so the next week will be with Matthew 28, and then the following Mark 1, and one of the things that this also provides, if you don't have a certain plan that you're going through and reading the Bible and would want to just make it a goal that as we look at the beginning and the end of each New Testament book, that would give you two weeks to read each book all the way through. And then if you do that, you will have read the whole New Testament in 2022. But this is Matthew chapter one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez the father of Hezron and Hezron the father of Ram and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nathan and Nathan the father of Salmon and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram and Joram the father of Uzziah and Uzziah the father of Jotham and Jotham the father of Ahaz and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, And Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jehoiakim, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jehoiakim, the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azer. And Azar, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathen, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David, were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And that concludes our reading for this morning. It was also impossible for me in anticipating a, teaching from Matthew chapter 1 to not remember uh, or to remember then uh, 20 years ago approximately uh, the first time I was ever asked to lead an adult Sunday school class. Uh, I had uh, been baptized in a church and been a part of it for a period of time and then was asked to join the rotation of people teaching for a class that preceded the morning service. And so I was Uh, honored by the opportunity to do it, and there was like a a rotation of what was pre-selected passages to teach for those classes, and so the first assignment that I was given to teach an adult class was Matthew chapter 1, and not the entirety of Matthew chapter 1. I got the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy. So, Had I been given the whole thing, I probably just would have skipped the first 17 verses and said, I don't even know what to do with that. So let's just focus on the the last part of that chapter. But since I was now given this assignment, and this was supposed to be a 45-ish minute class with back and forth interaction, I had to really look at Matthew chapter 1 and say what is there to say about all these names I barely know how to pronounce any of these names let alone to know what to say with them so I reached out to a mentor and a friend in my life named Costa and uh, said to him it was sort of almost like a a phone a friend like help I know that you know your Bible and you study it really well and so I need something uh, to help me think through what would I talk about from the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. And so I thought I had it, and I did, and I found it. But I have the original notes that he then said, well, let me help you get started. And so he gave me two and a half pages of handwritten notes, sort of guiding me through the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. This is not the original. I grabbed the original from my file and copied it so that if I spilled coffee on this today or something, I wouldn't ruin the original. Uh, but Matthew chapter 1 makes me think of this, the kindness of these handwritten notes from somebody who loved the Bible and was excited to help other people as they were beginning to study the Bible. So I took a picture of it and sent it to him this week to something that he probably forgot that he ever did, but that has stuck in my uh, mind and heart and imagination for just what a gift it was uh, that he was willing to share some of his insight and wisdom with me uh, in coming to uh, a part of scripture that in my mind, I just would have skipped over said I'm not sure what to do with this and so I'll just move on and then missed the blessing that is contained therein because none of scripture is wasted. (laughs) It says later in the New Testament that all scripture has been given uh, for us and for our benefit by God. It's profitable for teaching and for reading and so what possibly uh, in this collection of names could we learn about God. It's a good place to start not only this series, but this starts the New Testament. This starts the announcement to the world about who Jesus is and why he came. And then I had a little bit of empathy for the fact that my name has been mispronounced most of my life. Uh, To also say, even when a name might be foreign or strange to me, that doesn't mean there isn't a real person behind it uh, uh, who has behind that name a story and included in that story A life and relationships uh, behind it, and so we're going to look at this uh, chapter and not skip the first seventeen verses as we then look at what it has to say for us. But we've entitled the whole series "Grace and Truth: The Message of the New Testament." That title is borrowing from actually the beginning of John's Gospel, where he says, "The Word was made flesh, and we have we behold His glory, and it's a glory full of grace." And, truth. and then a few verses later he would say, for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And those two words, grace and truth, are coming from what had often been used to describe God himself through the Old Testament as being a God of steadfast love, that's the word for grace, and faithfulness, that's the word for truth his hesed and his emet, his steadfast love and faithfulness often put together in describing the God who made this world. That he is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And in Jesus, we see the fullness of that steadfast love slash grace and that faithfulness or truth and it's probably most helpful with that second word to keep that in mind, because we can think of truth as just sort of an idea, like or a math problem. And uh, our youngest is making up math problems. And so I came home just a few days ago, and he just had one, and he was like, "Dad, 20 plus 20 is 40." And he was so excited that he knew that. and I was like, "Great, And what does that matter? Uh, and we can think of things that are true, but not very relevant. But the emphasis of John and all of the biblical writers, is that God is true to his word, that he is faithful, that what he promised he would do, he, would, he has done. And so that in discovering that he is true, it's that he's trustworthy, it's that he's reliable. And so we'll see how here in Matthew chapter one, uh, we learn about God's faithfulness and his steadfast love uh, in what is described you don't have to know much to even if you were willing to just take a pen and paper and look through the names that are given to recognize there are repeated names in this genealogy and the most repeated names are david and abraham and so it starts off by saying that this is the genealogy of jesus christ the son of david the son of abraham and then those names come in the genealogy and then at the end of it again they're repeated of the generations from Abraham to David and here what's being highlighted in these repeated names is again God's faithfulness that he made promises to these people that's why their names are here Abraham was somebody he asked to follow him to go into a brand new country start life all over again in a different place And in Abraham's obedience, God promised him that from him, he would not only give him a child, but that there would be a nation. And at the time of that promise, Abraham and his wife Sarah had no children, but they received a promise from God that they would not only have a child, but that through that child, a nation. And then not only would they have a nation, but that through that nation, every nation on the earth would be blessed. Wow, that's an amazing promise given to an older man who has no children that one day every nation on the earth will be blessed through his line. And then David, born much, much later, is again given a promise where David becomes a king and one of the greatest kings of Israel. And David has in his own heart's desire to build a temple for God, make a permanent dwelling so that the tabernacle no longer needs to be in Shiloh and there can be a temple in Jerusalem. And he has this desire to build something of permanence and transcendence. But then God says to David, you want to do this for me. But what I'm going to do for you, which Mark talked about even last week, is that I'm going to build your house. And I'm going to make sure that there's a descendant on this throne forever. And so for Abraham, it was a promise that through him, a nation would come that would bless all the nations of the earth. And then for David, a promise was that a king would be born from his line that would be the last king the world would ever need. He'd be the king of kings. And that he would rule and reign forever. And so even without knowing all of the backstory, uh, if you just take the time to notice what's repeated and learn a little bit more of just even those two, you get this sense of, okay, whatever is now gonna be told to me about Jesus is connected to those previous promises. What is Jesus gonna do that fulfills the promise that God made to Abraham to bless all the nations of the earth? And who is this Jesus and what is he gonna do that's gonna somehow make him the fulfillment of the promise of a new king that would be the king of kings? And But highlighting in these uh, names, uh, reminding us of those promises, sort of sets our expectations of now what we would read as we go forward into Matthew's Gospel. But it highlights God's faithfulness. And that's part of the purpose of Scripture and the purpose of remembering history is to see that God works over time. Any one of us can just say to each other, hey, I really mean I love you, I really mean you can trust me. But it's only over time that we can prove ourselves trustworthy or loving. And so there is so much that just in the garden, God could have said about himself, and all of it would have been true, but what he has done time and again throughout history is proven himself faithful to the promises that he has made. Then in this genealogy, uh, there are unexpected names which if you, like me, were born in close proximity to here and English is your first language, they all feel like unexpected and difficult names. But no, if you were one of the first people ever hearing this list of names, there are unexpected names that come. And they are names that are female and Gentile that would not usually be included in a genealogy of persons, because they wouldn't be highlighted as then any source of significance. A lot of times we might attach ourselves to somebody to say, well, they're famous, and so if I'm connected to them, that helps me feel a little more significant too. No, this would do the opposite. This would not help the genealogy of Jesus in any way if the goal is to simply build up his reputation for that first century audience to include four names of Uh, females, not all of whom are necessarily Gentiles, but some of them, and some of them married to Gentiles, and some of them with very difficult pasts, in Tamar, in Rahab, in Ruth, and in Bathsheba. And so there again, if you said, let me just then also add those unexpected names and learn a little bit about their stories, you'll read about some of the most heartbreaking stories in Scripture, And that, again, uh, shapes your expectation as you read the rest of the good news about Jesus that included in the introduction are some very heartbreaking and sinful and profoundly broken stories of things that happened to these women, and yet they are then included in this genealogy. But part of the purpose of Matthew in doing so is to tell all of us that God is faithful and also that he is loving, that he has that steadfast love that not only is faithful over time, but it's an inclusive throughout time of those who feel left out and on the margins and maybe have no way in, that God has a way of including people who feel left out. He has a way of bringing them close when they feel like they're supposed to stand far off. And when you see that in the introduction and then you see that in the course of his ministry, yeah, that's what Jesus regularly did. He made people feel welcome who were otherwise excluded. He brought people close who otherwise thought they had to stand far off. And So who is this person? Uh, our kids have been recently uh, watching Ice Age uh, movies on Disney Plus, and they started with like one of the last ones. I don't even know how many there are. There's a bunch, but they started with one of the more recent ones, and so partly because they started with one of the more recent ones, there's this whole unlikely herd of characters, uh, because nobody's like anybody else you know there's the mammoth and the possum and the tiger and it usually a herd is a group of the same kind and so what brings together this group that's all different and forgive me that you feel like you're in Sunday school now but I don't get to make most of the entertainment choices uh, in my house Uh, so it is a cartoon but they uh, they're together already and so the kids have watched it and then I realized they don't know where each of these people came from And so they, for some reason, were like fighting, watching the first one. Like they just weren't interested. I'm like, if you're going to watch this, like you need to watch where it begins. And so then finally I pushed through and just made them watch the first one. And so now that they see one of these characters, Diego, the tiger, who they know is part of this pack and in this group, is actually in the first story, an enemy. And he has come alongside the other characters, the mammoth and the, uh, the sloth, Uh, Actually, to lead them into a trap so that all of his other tiger friends can attack them and have dinner. So as they start watching it, they're now like, wait a minute, he's just pretending, right? This can't be real because we know that he's part of them. It's like, actually, no. This is where it starts. He's really against them. His intentions are bad. Oh, until something happens that changes his heart, that he would now choose to be steadfastly loyal to these characters that are not a part of his herd and actually work against those that are more like him, but they're just ready to have dinner. And so then they start to lean in. Oh, I didn't know this person that I really liked had a colored past. But it doesn't, didn't make them then like that person less as much as to now have a richer sense of this is really amazing that they're all together because they used to be enemies. They used to be against one another. And so now seeing this togetherness that exists and this loyalty among each other is all the more reason to celebrate. So you don't have to go home and watch Ice Age. There's probably much better uh, stories that you can read and study that have a similar concept. But it's the same vein where if we ever start the story or the movie too late, we'll miss some of that. Of where did it really begin? How did people who were left out, how did Rahab, a prostitute, somehow make it into this genealogy? How did when one of the repeated names is David and he's the king and we're longing for a new king to be like David, does the genealogy include one of the saddest parts of David's story? And so there's no effort on Matthew's part to sugarcoat David's past and say, hey, hey, let's not talk about, you know, some of his indiscretions because he was on the whole a good king. Matthew is, in telling us that this child is going to be a son of David and that God is going to show his faithfulness to the promises of David does not sugarcoat in any way still the reality that included in this genealogy uh, is a sad part of David's own story. When he did not obey God, when he himself was guilty of murder and took somebody to be his wife that he should not have. But somehow, God is on his throne and those people who feel like they've either done something that could never be forgiven or they were born in a condition that they could never get out of or part of a people group that could never be welcome are all welcome at this table. They're all a part of this story and Matthew's introduction guides us to that conclusion. This is God's steadfast love when we look at the unexpected names. Then, verses 18 to the end, we get the miraculous name. There is then a name that's not like any other name that had been given so far. Where the birth of Jesus Christ took place, where an angel announced that this child was going to come, where Joseph himself was concerned about whether this was appropriate, about whether Mary's own behavior was appropriate. And so there, there ends up needing to be an angelic intervention to Joseph to say, do not divorce her. Stay faithful to the promises that you've made to her because actually what's happening is I'm being faithful to the promises I've made to our people and to the world. And so his name will be called Jesus or Joshua in Hebrew which means God saves and he's gonna save their people from their sins and so where his otherwise birth name would have been a pretty common name in his day and there would have been many Joshuas walking around he says but this is actually to fulfill a promise in verse 23 behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us That miraculous name, this miraculous birth of this new child is different than all those other names. For all the other ones, we could say God has been faithful to them. He has been loving towards them. But here now is saying to the world, this is God with us. This is his presence and his provision entered into this world, taking on a name and an identity to save us that should make us then want to say I want to read the rest of this story. What does this person do? What does he teach? How does he interact with people? But if he is really now God with us then we look to him as the final sort of reference point to really consider what the steadfast love and faithfulness of our God is really like. And we experience that love through him. So that's our invitation to you. This is the message of the New Testament that through Jesus Christ, God's love and his faithfulness can be known. That you and I can not just say, oh, that's interesting that that happened in the past. But that means something right now. That means that you and I, if we feel excluded, could be included. If we feel like we can't be forgiven, actually we can be forgiven. It means something for you and for me right now. That that love can have transformative power. If we allow it. Uh, Many of you know that this past week we buried my father-in-law and had a a graveside service on Thursday. And uh, in that small gathering, there was still such a goodness in reflecting on his life and the way that it has blessed us and touched us. Um, But then we also got word. So part of the family then in knowing that we would, uh, just in the ongoing situation of the disease around us, keep things more limited they took the time to say a little bit more about his life in his obituary and then also to put together a slideshow of pictures of his life and on the evening uh, of that day the entirety of that slideshow was shown to a bunch of teenagers in Wadsworth in a ministry that he was regularly involved in called the garage after which An invitation to receive the love of God was extended, which some teenagers responded to, which was a joy to hear. But it's, again, one of those examples of witnessing and observing a faithful, caring love that is real, not just in someone else and for someone else, but if it's really, really true, that means it's for me and it's available to me in, to you if our hearts would be open to it is what all of us ultimately need to encounter when we consider the message of the New Testament will we not only hear it but will we believe it will we accept it and claim it for ourselves let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for the gift of of your word that can remind us of your faithfulness over time to many different people your ability to bring healing to many different areas of pain and suffering in our world that with whatever excuse we would come and think that we are left out or disqualified or unwelcome that your son has shown us we can't use, that you have come from everyone and for everyone and that you stand ready and willing with your steadfast love and faithfulness, with your grace and truth to make us new creations in Christ, that we can become sons and daughters of you, the king, That we can experience in life the fullness of your presence and your provision for each and every one of our needs. And so, Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in the lives of each person's name we read whose stories we don't know. And I thank you for the many different people I've mentioned who've been that source of your faithfulness in my own life. And I just pray that you would continue to write that story among each and every one of us, in Jesus' name.